0: You're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Russie Thomas. All right, Destiny. We're pressing on there, kiddo. Praise God. I'm with my daughter, Destiny. She's the brains behind this operation. She's a slave driver. (laughs) I tell you, she's a taskmaster. She's got that whip. Come on, Dad. We got to produce more episodes. Praise God. What a blessing to serve the Lord with my, my children. Really, what a gift from God. And so we are on our 11th, yes? mm-hmm. 11th. Our 11th episode. Here we go. Pressing on. 11 weeks. I'm Christmas now. <laughs> yeah, who would have thunk it? Yes, and it's Christmas time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Or... It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, <laughs> and I gotta tell you, for our family, yeah, it's big uh from Thanksgiving to Christmas time, it truly is for our family, the most wonderful time of the year, so many rich, enriching memories uh for our family, and uh you know of course, everybody's pretty much grown up now and left the nest. We don't have complete, uh, was it empty nest syndrome? We, we haven't suffered that completely. I still have four daughters, two that are of a marrying age, young men, if you're godly. Uh, you can, you know, leave a comp- comment in this, in this episode here. Uh, I will be vetting you, of course. Uh, but anyways, you know, it's uh, still got four kids at home, and, and it's still a big deal. And we really do put a lot into it. And I pray your family does as well. And, uh, and yeah, soon, uh, the world once again is going to celebrate Christmas. But, you know, it's so interesting as the years march on, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this day. You know, you have the mainstream church, and of course they're seek, seeking to defend the language. Merry Christmas you know, from the Christ-denying happy holiday or winter soulless substitutions. And then, of course, you have some Christians that view Christmas as an unholy alliance between Christianity and paganism, which they want to avoid like a plague. Uh, But, you know, same thing, I guess, could be said uh, if we say the weeks of the day, you know, like... Thursday was actually Thor's day. Uh, so, you know, the week of the days are sort of combined with paganism. And uh, we see a lot of this, too, uh, with some Christians, even when it comes to Holy Week and the celebration of the Lord's resurrection, um, because some people name it Easter somehow we should ignore <laughs> the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which without, uh, we have no life in us. So it's kind of a weird deal um, how how some Christians view these things. Um, I get it, you know, to some degree. I guess they're trying to stay faithful to the Lord in some aspect of it. But, I, you know, in my way of thinking, they take it a little bit too far. Um of course, you have the God-hating world, and they want to, you know, sort of substitute the birth of Christ with, you know, pagan themes and, you know, things of that nature. And, but, you know, through it all, do, do we throw out the baby with the bathwater? Uh, I mean, just because there's satanic counterfeits, do we reject the biblical narrative of the birth of Christ? And, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of leave that question uh, to your own conscience. Um, Another interesting implication, too, is that you have some Protestants that cringe at the last three words, must, M-A-S, because it might be a reference to the Catholic Mass. And, of course, we don't want to go there. And then you have others that say, hey, you know, Christ wasn't even born on December 25th, so... Why either, you know, why even bother? And then you do have those those Christians who, you know, they're going to avoid the commercialism of Christmas, and we're going to celebrate the reason for the season, and on and on it goes. So, uh, you know, Christmas has become many things to many people. But here's the point, brothers and sisters, whether people honor or protest Christmas, its annual Christmas, commemoration seems pretty certain. I suspect it will remain this way for the foreseeable future. Minimally, the merchants of the earth have a vested interest to secure the day for no other reason than to boost their bottom line. But the purpose of this podcast, however, seeks to understand the birth of Christ from a biblical perspective. Does the Bible honor the event? And if so, in what ways is the birth of Christ distinguished? Well, there's no doubt the God of the Bible viewed it as a major production. There are several hundreds of prophecies, types, and shadows that predicted for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Of course, that's Isaiah 9, 6, the kind of Christmas passage, right? And... Uh, Out of these 300 or so prophecies concerning the Messiah that's interwoven throughout the Old Testament, some of them, keep in mind, are duplications of the same prophecy. You know, there's certain prophecies that are repeated many, many times, but when you break it all down, the prophecies that foretell of Christ's coming are somewhere in the neighborhood of 190. And so, there was this engineer, his, his name was M.B. Bleeker, I believe is pronounced. Um, he, he just took 150 of these noteworthy prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and he calculated the odds of his fulfilling them all. Now, I I don't even have enough time. I'd be here forever (laughs) to list how long the numbers would be for one man to fulfill uh, these prophecies in one lifetime. Believe me, it's like it's gazillions of numbers. Like the odds are like incredible. And then he, he just broke it down to like eight of them. So like the major eight prophecies concerning the birth of Christ being fulfilled by one man and again it's it's astronomical. it's like one zero 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 zero. I mean, just it's on and on and on. That's just eight of the prophecies being fulfilled at Christ's first, first coming. And so there's there was another brother named Peter Stoner in Science Speaks, he uh, he, he kinda like put together a demonstration based upon the science of probability and so he kinda used modern science of probability in reference to the eight prophecies and this is what he said, we find that the chance of any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all Eight prophecies is one in 1017. That would be one with all those zero 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 zeros. And so in order to help us comprehend this staggering probability, this is what Stoner illustrated. So he said, let's take all these probabilities and turn them into silver dollars, okay? And then lay them over the face of Texas so that they cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Now imagine this, Destiny. The state of Texas, the whole terrain, it's a huge state and you have stacks of silver coins two feet deep. Now he says, now mark one of these silver dollars, stir the whole mess or mass thoroughly over all the state, then blindfold a man and tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. Now we know there's many, many more prophecies that Christ fulfilled from the Old Testament. He's just taking eight of them, the major ones, like where he would be born, the tribe, you know, Judah, those kinds of prophecies. And he is saying you could blindfold a guy, he can walk across the state of Texas, where there's two feet deep of silver coins you mark one red and then just randomly as he walks throughout texas he reaches down and he picks up the red one and that's the science of probability when it comes to the birth of jesus christ which is absolutely amazing and by the way prophecy in the bible is one of the reasons, one of the truths or aspects of the Bible that no other so-called holy book can duplicate. No other holy book could predict the end from the beginning or the beginning from the end. Only the holy scriptures can do this. And and by the way, that's, that's one of the ways that God in the Bible challenged the false gods of the earth. Can you do this? And of course, they cannot. Um so we have to understand brothers and sisters the scriptures are, are it's so amazing i love the bible the older i get the more amazed i am at its composition we're talking about 1500 years it took to compile the 66 books of scripture in three continents 40 different human writers three different languages And you put it together, and it's consistent from beginning to end, to end to the beginning. You know, people want to say, oh, you know, through the years, you know, we had, you know, these, um, you know, monks, and they, you know, added their translation and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Brothers and sisters, God is not only powerful enough to write His Word, He's powerful enough to keep His Word. We must understand that. Um... Clearly, the Bible is such a special book. There's no other book like it. It truly is God's word. Um, if you've ever played the, uh, uh, was it game called, was it telephone, honey? Where I right, just, I mean, just, just think about this, brothers and sisters. You've probably played the game telephone. So you're sitting there with a group of five, six, seven people, right? And so you give one paragraph of a story, you whisper it into the ear of the person next to you, and it goes from person to person to person. By the time you get to the seventh person, it is nothing even closely related to the original paragraph. That's just seven people at one setting with one paragraph. We're talking 1,500 years with 40 different human writers. And there's nothing in history that says, like like Isaiah. Like Isaiah, you know, he prophesies a lot about the coming of the Messiah. You don't see him at the end of his life before he's being sawed in half for serving the Lord, put down his pen and go, hey, you know, I done my gig. You know, I did my portion of the word of God. And so, hey guys, you know, you know, in the future, You know, like hundreds of years from now, hey, somebody pick up the pen and let's continue writing this fabrication. That's not going to happen, brothers and sisters, and it didn't happen because God is ultimately the author. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit moved upon men of old to bring forth the Scriptures. And it's such such an incredible, incredible uh, book. It is the book of books. So there's no doubt about that. Well, I got that kind of off of my chest. But so now let's uh, look at Christmas uh, from the realms of astronomy. Yeah. What about this star of Bethlehem? Because it's kind of garden itself like the world's most famous celestial event in history. Um, clearly, there was something about that star. And, it, and what's interesting, up too, about that star it's like the children of Israel didn't seem to understand its significance. It was the three wise men over, I guess, in Babylon. And uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of an amazing twist, really, in the biblical narrative. Because we know Daniel uh, did all of his writings when he was captured uh, in Babylon. And so, most likely, Uh, These wise men had access to those writings by Daniel. And for whatever reason, they had their eye on the prize. They were looking to the skies, and they immediately equated that star of Bethlehem with something of significance from God coming to the earth. And Of course, they go on that great quest uh, to find out the king who was to be born so they could worship him and bring him gifts from afar. It's an amazing thing. So you got this star of Bethlehem. It's uh, a famous star, obviously. Uh, It's a famous celestial event. And then, of course, when it comes to the Christmas narrative, I mean, how many times in the Bible or in world history do do you have this occurrence where the heavens open up and acquire... Evangelic hosts appear and what are they doing they're singing praises to god as they bring good tidings of great joy to all people so i mean like when people talk about the birth of christ like it's no big deal it's like something we shouldn't really acknowledge that like we shouldn't have a special day god, seriously I, well let me just say that doesn't happen every day it's only happened once Think about it. Heaven's open. Angels appear. They're singing praises to God. Pretty amazing stuff. Well, why such a bodacious display? Well, they were carrying a divine message. And this is what is stated. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ Christ. The Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The Bible records there's no small stir at this holy announcement. The most famous response came from the woman who was chosen to conceive and give birth to the Son of God. Today we recognize Mary's prophetic reply as the Magnificat. Pay close attention to her declarations as it pertains to this poor fallen world. And remember, the angel Gabriel comes to her and he ministers to her Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. The Christmas passages, okay? And of course she says, be it unto me according to your word. And immediately the kenosis takes place. All of Christ. Is emptied from heaven and becomes a zygote in the womb of Mary. And when she conceives, this is what she cries out My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with calling Mary a blessed woman. The Catholics take it too far. But there is a truth that everybody and anybody could say, yes, Mary was blessed indeed to conceive in her womb. What the Bible said, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas, God with us. I don't know, is it weird to celebrate that? She goes on to say, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. Listen, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats. Hello, Biden. Hello, Marxists. Hello, progressives. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Sorrows. Gates, that's for you. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So here, let's let's put this together. Mary acknowledges the incredible favor that has been demonstrated to her personally. Now beyond her personal considerations, she proclaims that there will be powerful ramifications that will greatly impact the world because Christ is born. Christ was born. And and here's the ramifications. Listen, and this is going to come to pass in time and history. Wrongs will be righted and justice will eventually prevail. Oppression in due course will cease. Tyrants, dictators, and ruling elite and the proud, God will cast down. The hungry, poor, outcasts, and disenfranchised will be helped. All this and more is guaranteed by the promise God spoke to Abraham and is now coming to pass with the birth of Christ. Now, is this something we should ignore? Something we should be silent about? Or something that should be shouted from the rooftops, now and forevermore. Well, there's a theological term for this glorious event, and it's called the incarnation. In general terms, it means in the flesh or to become human, incarnation. Now, when it comes to the birth of Christ, who or what is becoming human or coming? In the flesh. Well, the Gospel according to John grants us the biblical meeting. This is John 1 1-1 1 and one fourteen, and it states, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And here we go. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know what's interesting about this, brothers and sisters? That's obviously very, very powerful. But here's the opposite of that reality. When anybody denies the incarnation, denies that God Almighty came in the flesh, this is what actually constitutes the dreadful designation the Bible calls Antichrist. Please hear that. Any person, religion, or philosophy that denies Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is Antichrist. Perhaps there's more to this Christmas business than meets the eye. Sounds like it's pretty serious to me. Well, remarkably, the same word that spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, the same word canonized in the Bible, the same word that God sent to heal us and deliver us from destruction, became flesh and dwelt among us. One of the specific words is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, which I've already stated. But I'm going to state again. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew interprets the name Emmanuel as God with us. So Christmas, this is what C.S. Lewis, this is how he defined the significance of the Incarnation the Son of God became a man so that men could become the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love is this that God should call us His children. Well, brothers and sisters, Merry Christmas. This is the first episode on Christmas. And by the way, would you please hound Pastor Jeff Durbin? <laughs> I'm calling him out. Um, I'm trying to work out a time uh, we can do an interview with him. I don't know, brothers and sisters, if you saw Apologia's Christmas Special last year, it was so awesome. It was so powerful, Pastor Jeff. It was. It was. It was great. He was. He was. He had this. The setting. It was like, you know, a fireplace. It was all warm and cozy and it had Christmas trees and presents. And each day, starting December 1st through the 25th, each day, he did a short, brief teaching on the significance of Christmas. And honestly, I believe Apologia has produced so much good stuff for so long. But I truly believed it was one of the best. And so I contacted him because I wanted to do an interview. I was, I, you know, I, I was interested to see if they were going to re-release that this year. And he goes, no, we have another idea that's going to be even more special. So I wanted to do an interview with him because, f- first of all, I really wanted to thank him for that first Christmas special. I had all my family here, we we, were, we got together for Christmas and each day we sat down. What was so beautiful, these were scriptures that I had taught my children when I was raising them up uh, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and it was such a time of remembrance and I could just see the light just grow even brighter within my children's soul and my grandkids. So. Anyway, I'm not quite sure what Apologia is going to be doing this year. I was hoping to be able to interview Pastor Jeff about it. But uh, even if I don't interview him, once I find it, I will be uh, putting that as a part of these podcasts. I'll put put the link to it. Uh, But anyway, this is the first episode. And... uh, The second episode, I really want to kind of cover what Christmas means to us as individuals and what it means to our poor, fallen world. Well, till that time, brothers and sisters, you keep pressing on to that high call and prize in Jesus' name. God bless you.